There are some stories that are so significant, so important, they can't be ignored. One such story, of course, would be 9-11 that, that dramatically changed our nation. Such a powerful, important story, we could not ignore it. Another story would be the tsunami, though it happened on the other side of the world. The images of the suffering and the devastation are etched on our minds, and it is a story that we could not ignore. A story we would like to ignore, but the media will not let us, is the story of Anna Nicole Smith, but we would like to ignore that. The most important story, however, that has ever been is the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that one who was dead is alive. It was a big story when it happened. In fact, the Bible tells the story of two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus. Jesus came alongside them. They didn't recognize him, and he presented himself as if he knew nothing about the resurrection. And one of those disciples said, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Are you the only person who does not know what has happened? Has your head been in the sand? Do you not know that a man was crucified on the cross and he came to life again? Are you the only person who does not know that? It was a big story when it happened. And it continues to be the most important story of our day because it is a story of hope for all mankind. Ladies and gentlemen, the story of the resurrection is the story for your hope. I heard the story about a man who took his little boy to the pet store. He was going to get him a puppy, and so the little boy was looking at the puppies. And he would go back and forth, and he looked at the little Pekingese, and he looked at the Cocker Spaniel. He was looking at the various puppies, trying to decide which one he was going to choose. Well, there was one little puppy there who was just jumping up and down. His tail was wagging back and forth. He had his little tongue out, and the boy would look at him, and he went back and forth looking at the others. And finally, his dad said, son, which one are you going to choose? He said, I want the one with the happy ending." Well, that is what the resurrection is. It is the happy ending of the crucifixion of Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, beginning in verse number 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And he summoned the multitude with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's shall save it. 
For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. There in verse number 31, Jesus shares three prophecies concerning himself. The first prophecy he makes is that he would suffer many things. Now, I know there are preachers today who tell us if, if we know the Lord and if we serve the Lord, if we are right with the Lord, then our lives are going to be blessed and we are going to enjoy uninterrupted prosperity. However, Jesus said of himself that he was going to suffer. In fact, Isaiah the prophet, some 700 years before Jesus was born, prophesied that he would be a suffering Savior. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 3, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, prophesying about the Savior, said that he would be a suffering Savior. He suffered rejection from the very beginning. There was no room for him in the inn when his parents went there for his birth. He suffered rejection from his own people. The Bible says in John 1, 11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. They rejected him. Though they were looking for the Savior, they rejected him. The Bible tells about Jesus being outside the city of Jerusalem. And he looked down on this city that he loved, the city of God. And his heart obviously was grieved and he cried out, Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets. How often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. He was rejected. He suffered the abuse of those he came to save. When Jesus was arrested, the scripture says, the Roman soldiers took him and, and they said, so you are a king. Well, you ought to dress like a king. And they put a robe around his shoulders. And they planted a crown of thorns and they pressed it upon his head. The Bible says that they slapped him. They spat in his face and they beat him. But Jesus was contaminated with the sins that actually belong to you and me. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. Folks, that's what happened at the cross. The Bible says that all of my sin and all of your sin was gathered up and placed on Jesus. And he who knew no sin, he who had never sinned, became my sin and became your sin. But not only does the scripture tell us that Jesus the Savior would suffer, but it also says that those who are committed to him will suffer as well. Paul said, yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The Bible says that if we are really sold out to God, 
then we will suffer persecution. I look at Stephen, who was stoned because of his commitment to Christ. Paul, who was beheaded because of his commitment to Christ. Do you know that there are literally thousands upon thousands upon millions of martyrs around the world, people who have died because of their commitment to Jesus Christ, even today? The first prophecy is that he would suffer many things. The second is that, and he would be killed. Isaiah prophesied that as well in Isaiah chapter 53, verse number five. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. So Isaiah, looking into the future, prophesying, said that the Messiah was going to suffer and that he was going to die. And that prophecy was fulfilled at the cross. We've heard about the cross so many times that for many of us it's lost its meaning because of familiarity. Before Jesus went to the cross, he went to Gethsemane. And there he prayed. And the intensity of that time is so great, you and I really couldn't understand it. In fact, the words that are used there is that the burden he was carrying was so heavy that it pressed him down. And he would press himself back up and it would press him back down. And he sweat great drops of blood as he prayed, Father, if there's some way to save man other than my death, then let this cup pass from me. The Bible says that he died innocently. He stood before Pilate and the scripture says that Pilate interrogated him. Pilate questioned him. And after thorough interrogation, Pilate came back and said, this man is not guilty of anything. This man doesn't deserve to die. He's not guilty. Judas recanted. In Matthew 27, 4, Judas said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He sold him for 30 pieces of silver. And then later he says, I, the sin is mine because this man is innocent. He died innocently, he died vicariously, meaning that he took my sins upon himself, that he died for me and uh, for you. Isaiah 53, 6 said, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. I don't know how that strikes you. I, I, I know uh, that we come to Easter service sometimes with a lot of other things on our mind. But folks, the Bible says that the iniquity of us all, my sins and your sin, were placed on him. And he paid for them. He took my place. The wages of sin is death. And so he died in my place. Third prophecy is that he would rise again, and that's the happy ending. That's hard to believe, isn't it? That someone would die and they would actually be raised again. Isn't that hard to believe? Do you understand that the disciples didn't believe it at first either? They didn't rejoice when they first heard about it because they didn't believe it. In fact, the scripture says in Luke 24, 11, and these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe. The Bible says when the disciples first heard about the resurrection of Christ, that he is alive, that it seemed like nonsense to them. Thomas was told that Jesus was alive, and after Thomas heard, he said, I don't believe that. 
unless I were to take my fingers and put in the nail prints in his hand and take my hand and thrust it into his side, I, I wouldn't believe that. We're pretty hard on Thomas, but to be honest with you, I don't know that I would have been any different. Someone tells me that someone who was dead is now alive. I'm not sure that I would have been any different than Thomas. Why should we believe? Because probably some of you today find it hard to believe. Why should you? That, that a man came to this earth, that he was crucified on the cross, that he lay in the grave, that he was resurrected from the grave, and that he is alive. Why should anyone believe that? Well, there's a lot of confirmation. Paul wrote, Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Paul testifies that he was risen from the dead. Thomas, who said, I'll not believe unless I take my finger and place in the nail prints of his hand later, saw Jesus, and when he did, the Scripture says that he fell at his feet and cried out, My Lord and my God. Oh, there's a lot of those who would confirm. Paul says that there were 500 brethren who saw the resurrected Christ at one time. But you know what? There are thousands upon thousands upon millions of believers today who would stand and say, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living whatever men may say. He lives. He lives Christ Jesus lives today. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. You see, most of you would stand today and give confirmation that Christ is alive because you know Jesus. Most of you know Jesus. And so you would give testimony today. Why is that important? Well, because if he conquered death, then he is God. And if he is God, then he is Lord. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. So there's three prophecies that he would suffer, he'd be killed, he'd rise again. Then there are three conditions for those who would follow him in verse number 34. And he summoned the multitude with the, his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So he says, all right, if you would like to become a follower of Christ, there are three expectations of a disciple. First of all, deny yourself. Now, what does that mean? Deny yourself. Well, let me tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean to think badly of oneself. Now, I know that there are people who think, well, to deny myself means that I must think badly of myself, that I am unworthy, that uh, I am a terrible person, that I am depraved, and so forth. No, that's not what he's talking about. There are those who think that it means to think badly of the blessings of God, and when God blesses us, then we feel guilty about that. doesn't mean that. What does it mean then to deny oneself? What does it mean? It means that we deny the old man because he is dead. We deny the old person because we are a new person in Christ. Self-denial means that we deny the, a life of selfish pleasure. Paul said, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You see, folks, when we become a Christian, it is no longer about me. Now it is about him. And the Bible says that we are in the Lord's army. So he said, be a good soldier. It means that we deny self-confidence. 
Simon Peter had a good supply of self-confidence. When Jesus said to the disciples that one of you will deny me, Peter said, Lord, not me. The others might, but I would never do that. He did because his confidence was in himself. Now you contrast that with the apostle Paul who said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul had great confidence, but here's the difference. His confidence was in Jesus, not in himself. Simon Peter was confident, but his confidence was in himself. Big difference. Folks, as a believer, we ought to be people of confidence, but our confidence is in Christ. It means that we deny self-wisdom. James said that self-wisdom is demonic. Paul said that it is foolishness. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 19, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. To deny oneself means to deny one's self-will. And like Jesus, it is not my will, but thine be done. Lord, what do you want? Not my will, but thine be done. So he says, deny himself, take up his cross. You know, discipleship always comes with a cross. There are many today who would like to remove the cross, but it always comes with a cross. Jesus denied himself when he was on the cross. He could have, he could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone. He gave his life. He chose to die for mankind. He embraced the cross. And, and then he invites us to take up our cross. But let me also say that sometimes I hear people say, well, I, I have this sickness or I have this illness or I have this problem. I guess it's just my cross to bear. No, that's not what he's talking about at all. That's not our cross to bear. It's death to the old person. The old person's dead. When I received Jesus Christ, the old person died. And I become a new person in Christ. So he said, if you would be my follower, if you would be my disciple, then deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You, you see, there are some people who want to follow Christ, but they want to do so conditionally. I want to be a follower of Jesus, but hey, don't expect me to be baptized. I saw those people up there. I don't need to be baptized. Well, that was the command that Jesus gave. He said that we are to be baptized. Go into all the world preaching the gospel, teaching them to observe all things, baptizing them. Well, you know, I, I want to be a follower of Jesus, but I don't want to have anything to do with the church. You know, those are a bunch of weird people down there. They are a strange bunch of hypocrites. You know, we go to the store and shop with them, but we don't want to come to church with them. Bunch of hypocrites. You know, folks, let me tell you something about the church. The church is the bride of Jesus. Now, the church is not perfect, but Jesus loves the church. You see, I've said this on many occasions, but if someone were to say to me, Wendell, I like you, you're a pretty good old boy, but I sure don't care anything about your wife. We're probably not going to have much of a relationship because she means a great deal to me. And when people say, oh, I love Jesus, I just don't want to have anything to do with his bride, I'm not sure that he thinks so well of that. Oh, I, you know, I want to be a follower of Jesus, but don't expect me to tithe. Well, I knew he'd get around to that. 
But there are those who want to follow Jesus conditionally. We want to make it up. Lord, I want to be your follower, but now here's what I'm... No, ladies and gentlemen, becoming a follower of Jesus is an unconditional surrender. Wherever he leads, I'll go. God, whatever you want. Because you are God, because you're Lord of lords. So there are three conditions to discipleship. He said that we are to deny ourselves because the old person is dead. We take up the cross and we follow after Jesus unconditionally. Uh, then there are two choices in verse number 36. Look at verse 35. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake shall save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Now, you see the invitation is extended to us, but Jesus says that there are two choices. One is that you can reject, but you need to understand something. Rejection of Christ is a temporary decision because you're still going to stand before him. You may say, I don't want anything to do with Christ or I don't want him to be my Lord, but you are still one day going to stand before him because the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So you can reject him, but it is a temporary decision. On the other hand, it is an eternal decision because if you reject him, then he will eternally reject you. That's all he says. If you don't want me, that is your right, but I will reject you in eternity. So it's an eternal decision. But if you receive him, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean to receive him? Well, there's present joy. I know that there are people who try to make being a Christian miserable. You know, the worse you look, the more spiritual you must be. I know people who look as if they've been sucking on a sour pickle. You know, bless the Lord, I tell you. You know what Jesus said? I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Folks, Jesus doesn't want to make you miserable. He wants to fulfill you. He wants to give you joy. Joy. And when we know him, we have joy in this life. Why? Because our sins are forgiven. When Jesus declared from the cross, it is finished. It was a declaration that he had paid for our sins. Don't you want your sins to be forgiven? I mean, forgiven. I have done all of these things in my life but I have been forgiven because of his sacrifice. It means that my guilt is removed. Lady Macbeth said, all the perfumes in Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. We all face guilt in our life for things that we have done. Years ago when Gil Hodges was the manager of the Washington Senators, he imposed a fine of $100 for those who had violated curfew. He said, I know who you are, but I don't want to embarrass anybody. There is a cigar box on my desk, and at the end of the day, I want to see $400 in it. At the end of the day, there was $700 in it. <laughs> but we have this guilt that we are trying to live with. But if we accept the forgiveness of Jesus, we are forgiven, and he removes our guilt. There is present joy. You know, if there were no heaven or hell, and I believe there is, 
If there were no heaven or hell, I'd still want to be a Christian. I'd still want to live the life of being a Christian. It is the, it is the richest life that one can have, a life in Christ. But then there's also eternal joy, not only, not only present joy, but eternal joy. In Christ, we have joy now and forever. Not only do we, uh, not only are we going to heaven, but we got a great trip on the way. I mean, just enjoying life as we're going to heaven, and then we get to heaven, and there, we're there eternally. Max Licato tells a story of a man whose parents were in a fire that, in a house that caught on fire, and he tried to save them. He was not successful. He did not save them. Didn't get them out in time, so they perished. But he was badly burned, disfigured as a result of the attempt. He became depressed, despondent. He felt that his suffering, his disfiguration was the punishment of God. And so he withdrew from everyone, wouldn't have anything to do with anyone, including his wife. She did everything she knew to try to bring him out of it, but to no avail. She went to a plastic surgeon whose name was Dr. Maltz. And she told him about her husband's condition. And as he listened, he said, I, I think I can restore his face. That we, we have such uh, advances in technology and surgery and so forth, and I think I can restore him. So she went home to tell her husband the good news, that she had met with a plastic surgeon who had given her, her hope that he could be restored, but he would have nothing to do with his wife. He didn't want to see her, didn't want to have anything to do with her, and didn't respond. Later, she went back to the plastic surgeon, and she asked him if he would then disfigure her face to look like his. And the surgeon said, why on earth would you want me to do that? And she said, if I can share in his pain, then maybe he will let me back into his life. Well, the surgeon, of course, said that he couldn't do that. But later he went to the man's residence and he knocked on the door and the man didn't answer the door. But from outside the door he cried out to him, I'm Dr. Maltz, a plastic surgeon. And he said, I, I can restore your face if you'll let me. The man didn't respond, still didn't open the door, still was not responsive. And then the surgeon told him about his wife coming, asking if he would disfigure her face so she could look like him. And when the man understood that his wife loved him that much, he responded. And Dr. Maltz did the surgery and restored him. My friend, if you understood how much Jesus loves you, how very much he loves you, everyone here would lead with Jesus in their life. It is the cross that testifies to his sacrifice of love. And it is the resurrection that is a testimony of his power. And he reaches out to you today, extending an invitation that you might come to him. Do you know Jesus? He doesn't want to make your life miserable. He wants to fulfill your life, give you abundant joy. Do you know him? He wants to forgive you of every sin, make you a child of God. 
Do you know him? Our Father in God, we thank you for the great love that has been demonstrated in Jesus. Lord, a love that is so great, so wonderful, we could never comprehend it, but your word declares it. Father, today I pray for those who have never come to know Christ as Savior, that they might. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As you look up here in just a moment, we're going to stand and extend an invitation. If you're here without Christ as your Savior but would like to know Him, the Bible says that if you're willing to repent of sin and put faith in Him, He's willing to forgive you and save you. We'll have staff members here to receive you. There are some who need a church family and our doors are open to you. We'd love to be your church. We welcome you. But we'll have staff here to talk with you and to pray with you. Would you come today, making that commitment? Stand with me, please, as we stand together. The choir sings as they sing. You come, I'll greet you as you do.